companies that are outperforming have a defined strategy and they're executing well across those five things. They have a process for, you know, capturing the voice of the advertiser and agency community, translating the strategy. You know, they are evolving to what I would call version 3.0 of RevOps, right? So it's not just what do we do, but how do we really partner and drive growth? Uh, and that's been the, the most exciting thing, right? Yep. And, you know, when we have these conversations, those leaders are like, here's what we're doing well, here's what we need to improve. Welcome to Media Sales Confidential, where we get the inside information from some of the world's most respected and innovative leaders. I'm Matt Bartles, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Igor Yeroik and Quang Do of the Alexander Group. Let's go. Igor, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Quang, welcome. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. What we're talking about today is exciting because we are talking about the executive summary of our recent media research. And I know that we've been doing this research for a while. And if you think back to how the whole thing got started years and years ago, uh, we would get all kinds of ad hoc requests from clients. What, is, what are people thinking about this? What are we thinking about that? And it really led us to the creation of what we call the Media Advisory Council. So what we've been able to do is at the beginning of every year and then throughout the year, we reach out to a select group of individuals within the media community to get an idea of what are the hot topics, what are the things of real interest for you when you're thinking about marketing, sales and service, and, and then really thinking about what are some of the questions that we don't have the answers to that we need to be prepared for in the future. And that's kind of really the, the whole idea of this media research, ongoing research that we do. And the exciting part about it is the topics for this year are really, really, really relevant. And as organizations have moved past the challenges with the pandemic and into hyper growth mode, there's a number of things that they're thinking about rejiggering or just evaluating to make sure that you're going to continue to capture your fair share and more and ride that wave of growth that everybody is seeing. And I know that you guys have been at the forefront of speaking with the leaders in this research effort as well. So the, the, the other interesting thing about it is it's not just linear in nature. It is a combination of trends and ideas from thought leaders. It's a combination of longitudinal analysis. So we're able to stream together some of the information on a year over year basis of the work that we do. And then there's benchmarks out there around the sales model ratios that really are uh, second to none. And that's why it's been so popular over the last couple of years. This year's trends really revolve around about five different topics, but the depth within them is incredible. So the first thing that folks were really interested in is getting a better understanding and thinking about the voice of the advertiser and agency and what we call the VO2A process. So making sure that we're capturing what the advertiser and agencies are thinking about and then adjusting your sales and go-to-market tactics uh, accordingly. The second one really comes into placing bets and really thinking about the data and the information that is used to win with, with the product and customer chessboard. That got a lot of action. The final three here get into the sales model itself. So thinking about deploying different resources. So we know that there's a lot going on in the world of specialists. There's a lot going on with the transformation of the account management role, the pre-sales and post-sales roles. And so that evolution has happened pretty quickly over the last year and a half. The final two parts is aligning sales compensation with growth. So thinking about the challenge of sales comp now coming out of 
the pandemic, a lot of what was it, 70% of the organizations actually took away a lot of the pay for performance aspects of the plan. And so now they're really trying to rethink how do we support our organization and invest in our people with the incentive structure to both continue to drive solution selling, multi-product selling, and then also the teaming and the new aspects of integrating those roles that we talked about on number three. And then the final part is professionalizing revenue operations. So in order to be able to drive all of this, you need to have information, you have to be able to make sense of data. There's a lot of functions that are going either whether it's enablement operations, sales operations, management operations, and what we have found is that there are some very clear things that the leading organizations are doing around revenue operations that I think will be intriguing for our listeners today. So with that brief introduction, Igor, let's talk a little bit about some of your um, experience in collecting this information and some of your overall thoughts on the study itself. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I, you know, what's exciting for me is in addition to the some of the things you mentioned around longitudinal view of how organizations are thinking about these big challenges. I think another one that's been interesting for me is that a lot of the folks are grappling with the idea of how much of my model that I've been forced to adopt over the last 18 months do I actually keep because it's, it's working well in some way for me, right? Mm-hmm. E- either in terms of the roles that I'm deployed, what I'm doing differently in the sales process, what I've done to my comp plan as a reaction to some of the changes at the macro level. So that is also shaping strategy. How much of what I've done today do I keep as I return back to growth? Meaning it's, it's not just sort of, well, this served us okay in the last 18 months and I'm going to go back to what I had before. Right. But in fact, it's working well. And, and we can get into some of the examples there, even in the first category that you raised, Quang, I'm sure you can raise a few points around um, really digging with agencies and advertisers of how can we serve you better? What, what has worked that we've done in the last 18 months and getting that voice? You right. know, that's, that's, for example, one of the interesting ones. Well, that's an, int- I mean, if the old, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The challenge is, as Quang always likes to say, is growth can hide all sins in a sales organization. And those that are looking forward are making sure that you're trying to keep the ship um, going in the right direction, but preparing for the future. That's what we were talking about when this, the, the whole construct of this, this research is around, what is it that I'm curious about that I don't have the answers to that we can talk to the community about? gain some best practices or at least prevalent practices that are out there and what has worked and what hasn't. That's an interesting part of this. And that's why the the interviews with the the leaders in the community are so important. Quang, some of the uh, highlights from the the process itself for you are things that are really sticking out. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for for me is that success in today's market, you know, the companies that are leading, and that's objectively speaking, in terms of higher revenue growth compared to their direct peers, compared to the media industry at large are not taking an a la carte view mm-hmm. on those five mandates, right? Companies that are outperforming have a defined strategy and they're executing well across those five things. They have a process for, you know, capturing the voice of the advertiser and agency community, translating the strategy. You know, they are evolving to what I would call version 3.0 of RevOps, right? So it's not just what do we do, but how do we really partner and drive growth? Uh, and that's been the, the most exciting thing. And, you know, when we have these conversations, those leaders are like, here's what we're doing well, here's what we need to improve, but we're all thinking about these things, right? And it's it's been very satisfying to hear that what our advisory council and our project work has led us to research and really dive deep on are the things that they're worried about. So, Quang, I like when you raised that from when we talked to uh, during those exact interviews, 
across those five key strategy points that you mentioned, Matt, when we look at the top quartile of, of best performers, for them, the strategy is an and and not just an or, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, well, I deployed an account manager or CSM and, and there you have it. Or, well, I've added more marketing alliance support. Now I'm all set. No, it's, it's doing that and doing the bottom-up planning and sure. making sure your comp plan is aligned to what you're looking to drive, right? And actually pulling your audience the advertisers, the agencies, right. right? So they're doing all of those things. And when we correlate to who's performing better, as Quang said, in terms of uh, attainment of goal and just outpacing your peers, yep. they are able to do all those things. Well, that's a tough thing to, to continue to balance. And when you think specifically about the the capturing the voice of the advertiser and agency, the VO2A, I think intuitively people understand that that's a good thing to do. Obviously, mm-hmm. and, you yeah. know, it's important because those are your clients, if you will, but only 17% of them, Quang, says that, it, that what they do is effective. And right now, only 35% of organizations actually have a defined process. What the heck is going on here? I think I have a, well, I, I don't know if I have the answer, but I have an interesting story on that. So we talked to a president of a company that is essentially trend, trying to transform to be a digital first agency, right? Provide every service that a local business would want and need to drive their goals. And I asked the question and he laughed at me <laughs> and he said, they don't even know the right questions to ask. And if I told them the right questions to ask, they would not ask them because they would not want to hear the response. And so the reason why we don't do well this is because of the fear of being exposed. And this is where I think it becomes really interesting because on the surface, you would think that those five themes are standalone, but they're not. Because his second response is, the reason why we invested in building out our customer success function is so that they can start asking those questions, right? And so these things go hand in hand. I'm with you, Matt. I was shocked at, for a company that, for any company that is so focused on their customers and for the function that is most close to the customer, arguably, that there's such a lack of, of a codified approach. I mean, to the point that I asked in every interview, like, what am I missing? Like, do you just not need this? And, and you know, is this just a something that's not important? And then no, they said we just, like many organizations, got get so caught up in the day to day that we forget to kind of pause and think about where we should focus, not where we are currently focused. Yeah. And that starts with the customer. So. Yep, and it's hard, right? It's hard work, and we know that just looking at the revenue operations function itself and what they're doing that and marketing itself and tying it together with sales, that can be a challenge as well. Just getting the information is one thing, knowing what to do with it is another. What has your experience been, Igor, working with folks in that in this re- arena? Yeah, I'll, I'll add a third valence of why I think um, a lot of folks are hesitant to do that. There's some level of expectation setting as well, right? So if you go out there and you ask your advertiser or agency, you know, how is it that we can serve you best in terms of the offerings, the solutions, the co-creation, the resources that come and call on you? There's some level of, well, am I allowing them to choose my, you know, coverage model and my go-to-market strategy and my prioritization across right. my product suites? And so you have to be able to be pretty skillful in balancing of how do I serve you better, but it also works within my model. And so that's fairly difficult to do. And that's one of the reasons then we just say, you know what, we're just going to go outside in in terms of that and sure. hope that it works. But, you know, when we've done some interviews with recently with, with some top CMOs at, at some of the largest retailers in the country, you know, they too express the same sort of shock quang that you raised, which is I don't get these questions all that often from, from some of my biggest customers, right? Now, it's great that you guys are asking this on behalf of them as, as a function of this review they're doing. But it's so infrequent. And these are the retailers that I, I imagine, you know, folks will want to know, how do I best serve you? But it's just not happening. 
Yeah. I think one of the other challenges is when you start going down that road, it does also, it can also lead to a different level of segmentation in the way that you're engaging with your clients. And you think about those that are truly, truly trying to buy solutions versus those that are trying to just execute a more transactional motion. I think one of the inefficiencies in a lot of sales models is we're trying to give everybody the white glove service or at least make them feel yeah. like they're getting the white glove service and it comes down back to that segmentation and then maybe they don't even want that and you're trying to give it to them or maybe they're wanting it and they're just not worthy of it so you need to be able to articulate to them how and when they could get that white glove service if it's something that they desire just one last comment on this i think one of the realities that i think is happening is everyone is whether you're a VP of sales, a CRO, or an account executive, you're having conversations with the customer. Right. So you as an individual think you're capturing the VO two way and you have the best sense. Problem is no one's talking, right? And so everyone is interpreting different things. They're coming up with different value props. They're coming up with different solutions. Yep. They're coming up with all this stuff. None of that gets tied together. Yep. So at the end of the day, everyone goes in whatever direction and that's very inefficient. And it gets hidden if you're a hyper, you know, you're growing at, at a ridiculous rate, but when things start to turn, that's when those things come out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just the last data point there, Matt, that, that you started on this thread was that, you know, of those one third that actually do some sort of voice of the advertiser or the agency, less than half of them involve sales. You know, one in seven involve the customer experience team. Almost no one involves the research side, right? It becomes a marketing only or sometimes sales exercise. And that just perpetuates that notion, Quang, that you raised of even if we capture it, it stays within a silo. Right. How do you make that actionable? And that's that's a, uh, that's great. And, and that's where we are right now. Clearly identified this as a major opportunity for a lot of organizations. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And again, this is just the preliminary version of the insights that we're doing. We do have the final version that we're pulling through. And that's what we'll talk about next time is what are they doing from a best practices perspective? And what are they getting from it as they institute more advanced practices for lack of a better term, in capturing the voice of the customer. But then what are they actually doing with it to make a difference for the revenue generating organization? Which brings us to another hot topic in our preview of the findings, sales compensation, aligning that with growth. And I alluded earlier to the fact that a lot of sales organizations in the media industry took away the pay and performance aspects of the plan. So over 70% of organizations either instituted guarantees, we got rid of thresholds, or took away the downside, limited the upside, put people on a corporate number, anything to really just manage and create a more stable environment for earnings for folks. Now, as things have shifted, I feel like organizations have been scrambling to figure out, okay, well, how do we get some of these pay for performance aspects back into the plan because the most recent set of information that we showed said that I believe it was close to 90% of organizations were paying out 90 to 100% of the incentive target for their folks, realizing now that as the environment has opened up, that that isn't necessarily the best way use of incentive dollars. So I guess I'll start with you, Igor. What has some of the trends that you've seen and challenges that organizations have faced from a comp perspective? And then I'll talk to, we'll, we'll go to Quang about some of the things that they're doing about it. Yeah, so for me, the work that we're doing now with folks is easing away from some of the things that were necessary to what I, what I like to call sort of stabilize the install base of your sets of clients, but then also minimize any, any disruption or, or pain that folks could have gone through as a function of work that they're doing not succeeding because that vertical or that sub, subcategory or industry, right, is, is actually not spending. 
So I like some of the aspects that we had through the team goals and how do I keep that? I like the fact that we didn't have a fully cutthroat type of plan and people did the right thing and that sort of created better goodwill with, with accounts and greater sort of spend and, and, and involvement, right? There was, there was a whole, because people had a lot more conversations with each other over the last 18 months yep. and that created those strength of those relationships. So I want to keep some of that, but then I also want to be able to differentiate now going forward between my top and bottom sellers so that, and this is probably the most critical aspect, so that I keep up because other organizations are going back to a greater pay for performance culture. So if I consider myself one of the top performing account executives, right, or key account manager or what have you, I'm going to look for those market multiples. And if I can't see that in the comp plan with my organization, someone else is going to provide it. Right. And so it's no longer going to be okay to slightly differentiate me and my earnings as a top performer versus someone that's at the median or at the bottom end. It was okay when it was sort of battled down the hatches, right? And let's, let's take care of ourselves and our clients. Um, but, but now when it's more towards a growth oriented mindset, the plan needs to align to that. Sure. You got to have alignment. And I think uh, the sellers themselves realize, hey, I want to go to an organization where I can go back, especially if you're a high performer and make the big bucks versus just being normalized within the group. That stability is great, but there's a lot of poaching going on, a lot of activity of trying to get talent. It's very difficult to find it. Quinn, what are you seeing in the world of sales compensation at this at this time? I think in, in many ways, you know, building off what you shared, Igor, and what you talked about, Matt, it's essentially a, a perfect storm, right? You have a return to pay for performance. You have one of the hottest, arguably not the hottest job market we've ever experienced. And we have fundamentally a change in structures and roles. I mean, think about it. The concept of a field seller, someone that gets in the car on Monday, you know, has windshield time, is visiting clients, making pitches, and comes back on Thursday, fills out their, you know, CRM. That, in my view, is gone, right? Like now it's versions of hybrid, which that means is there's more teaming, yep. right? It's much easier to bring a specialist into a conversation if all they have to do is click join a Zoom. There's higher levels, the pace and frequency and touches to get a close uh, sale is increased. And so that the workload has changed, right? And so all these things are going in. And it's not just the, the comp design, because I, I had a good question, uh, a question with someone on one of these interviews. And I said, you know, how, how's the comp changing? And he gave me all the reasons, all the things to talk about. And he's like, but as important to the comp plan and driving my behaviors, expectations are changing. And we don't know where that's going to land, right? And so you have these two things working at once, right? expectations, the goals, and, and all that. And you have the, the metrics to drive the right performance. And it's caught and, and I can count on one finger the number of companies are going back to what they had before the pandemic. Everyone else is saying what we had is not going to work and we need to figure out what is going to work while things are moving. So that's, it's a, it's an exciting time. Yeah. I mean, it it is kind of the lifeblood of the organization. It's the one thing that, that says, okay, we're for real when we're instituting a new strategy because now your pay is aligned to it. I think you have a really good point there, Igor, in the, in the goodwill that could have been created from the teaming aspects of everybody joining mm. hands to say, let's figure this out. And now almost all organizations are saying we need to get better at doing some type of solution selling, which means more people involved in the sale. And that comp plan is the one that's going to help drive the teams to, to go for that extra mile at the end of the day. Are there any limiting factors to the sales comp plan or do you recommend folks just going back to what they did before with their old pay for performance plans? Well, here's how I think about it. One of the things that has changed given given the pace and the and the ability for reach that Quang raised 
organizations have also changed their enablement ratios. Okay. And, and here's why this is important, right? So how many AMs do I need per seller? How many CSMs? How many creative? How many add-offs, right? And so we're able to get away with fewer of those folks because they have bigger reach. Yep. So that has an impact on how do I think about goals and teams and performance ranges of the plan. So if you had constructs in your plan of I'm not going to start paying until 80% and top performers right. will hit 120% of plan, those design posts are good concepts and they still apply. But you can't just go back to what it was before because the variability of your business, the length of that sales cycle, right, and, and maybe even the volume is different. So you need to relook at all those things. So what, what that means is the same, you can run through the same sort of guide of how to look at these components. The posts themselves have changed. So you can't just sort of copy paste from what you had. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. And then the, the folks in the organization that are helping to figure that out, the revenue operations group, Quang, I know you've done a lot of work and I know we're doing a lot of work of helping organizations re-envision what that roadmap of revenue operations should be, or even get a better understanding of what it is. I know that the word revenue operations might be a little bit new to folks, but it is the functions and what they do are happening in every sales organization, whether you want to call it sales operations, enablement operations, ad operations. So I think one of the big challenges when we were talking about revenue operations is just getting a clear definition of what the heck are we talking about? What do we mean by revenue operations? What have you seen with clients that are struggling with this? And it's really that revenue operations function that has enabled the organizations that are leading right now to be much more agile, to have the information at their fingertips, to help put their salespeople in a better position to succeed, and then also to reward them at the end of the day. What are some of the things yeah. that you're seeing, Quang? The first hurdle is what you described, right? Which is just establishing where RevOps fits in. Mm -hmm. Like, how do they partner with sales? Are they truly partnering with sales or are they servicing sales, right? Those are two very different mindsets. Once organizations get past that, the, the current challenge I'm seeing is that what of those functions should be centralized versus localized, right? Localized could be mean with regional teams, you know, APAC versus yep. North America. Localized could also mean being oriented by segment, right? Enterprise versus mid-market estimate. And the balance is you can obviously get a lot more efficiency, but you lose touch with the business, sure. right? And so if you have a, say, you know, a headcount of call it 20, right? Uh, to support a sales team of, of, you know, whatever it may be, how do you allocate those resources? And then the dovetailing that is how do you ensure that the people in those jobs get the right mix of strategic and, and operational experience? Because RevOps can, as you mentioned, be everything from let's come up with, you know, how we design territory. Let's figure out how we're going to attack our key enterprise accounts to things like let's report on the monthly results. Let's do an analysis of how comp is training based on our budget. It can really sort of span a lot of things and again, be yeah. that connective tissue. And so if you're not being careful about that balance of work, you may have some people that are, all they do is operational things. It's people that are doing, right. you know, not getting exposed to the strategy and set aside what's good for development in order for someone to be an effective partner to sales. They need to see both. They need to have both. They need to have some strategy, some operation to be able to take that perspective to sit sure. down and have an honest conversation with the VP of sales and say how they should think about running their business differently. Yeah. yeah. So, Quang, that's sort of key for me that you said the difference between the necessary activities like we got to get deal support out, we got to get quotas, we got to define a territory, right? Versus some of the more forward looking. So, get away from just reporting, but, but business intelligence, predictive analytics type of stuff, right? 
And so we've actually done some work with, with folks lately in this space because many organizations, if you recall, three or four years ago, hurried up and, and created this chief revenue officer role, right? right? That was sort of ubiquitously adopted. What what they didn't do is say, okay, well, who's going to be doing all the work, right, that, that helps that individual make the right decisions, right? How is she going to be able to make smart moves if you don't have analytics reporting, you know, tech integration, trading and enablement, who's doing segmentation, all those types of things. So many organizations find themselves in, in this situation where they've got, you know, 10 to 15 different functions of what rolls up into revenue operations, but they have one or two bodies. Yeah. So that one individual is doing all those things. And to your point, Quang, what happens is you default down to the necessary things of running the business that you need to do, right? I got to pay people. So guess what? You end up spending a whole lot of time there versus let me figure out where, you know, I can provide value to the, to the CRO function because there's just nobody. So a lot of our work now is laying out that roadmap for folks. How do I build out this organization and have the right headcounts for the functions that, that that's part of our charter? That's funny. I, I remember when that CRO, the whole, the whole cre- get a CRO role, it was hot. And talking to a lot of CEOs, mm-hmm. should I get a CRO or not? I'm like, yeah, you should. But if I were a CRO, I would, and I. this is the same conversation we have with any CRO that's looking to take a different job. You got to look at the, oper- the the revenue operations organization. What kind of support are you going to get from an analytical perspective? They say that revenue ops is a new data science for sales. If you don't have that function and it's not a dedicated function, I think you're setting yourself up for a, uh, some challenges down the road. And we've got that clear continuum of things. And we've laid this out and I'm, it's fascinating watching it go through of what is revenue operations doing that's strategic in nature and then that continuum of very, very transactional. And the, the challenge is most of this stuff has to get done, right? And it's, oh, it it's happening and it's happening somewhere. It's yeah. just sometimes it's happening in a fragmented way. Sometimes it's happening in a more dedicated fashion. What are some of the highlights, Quang, that you've seen of high-performing revenue operations functions where they are integrating with the sales organization that, that we've seen are driving success? I know that your one of your favorite quotes is, Revenue operations, you, you want revenue operations unlocking growth, not just inspecting it. Yeah. So what are those that yeah. are helping to unlock growth thinking about? It starts really with that, the sort of the initial plan and, and alignment on that. And I'll, I'll give you an example, right? There are companies where RevOps is outperforming. They're sitting down with the VP of sales. They're getting the top line number, whether it's coming from finance or from whoever, the COO, CEO, and they're working through how we're going to get there. What is it going to take? Uh, what is it going to take from the you know, the resources that we have? Where do we need to make investments? And it's a truly a conversation of partners. Um, you know, they're investing too, right? And I'll give you an example of that is some of the leading organizations will differentiate sales enablement, which is like training and onboarding and all those things. But sales operations was all the, the day-to-day things of reviewing account plans and, and you know, making sure that commissions get paid on time. And then like true sales strategy, which is, you know, I think Wayne Gretzky says his best, you know, said it best, you know, I don't puck to where the, uh, I don't skate to where the puck is. Yeah. I skate to where the puck's going to be. And they're saying, Hey guys, you know, for example, you know, what we've learned over the last year in terms of our value proposition for travel and tourism, maybe we can take that and apply it to you name it, you know, financial services, whatever they're sure. seeing across the different parts of the business and seeing the things that are working well in one and helping to transport that to another. Yeah. I'll give you another another example, Quang, there this reminded me, you know, recent client we work with, part of their revenue operations team sort of went and looked at 
response time and effort on their creative folks across their RFPs. Yeah. So most of the RFP business, it was not, it was not sort of IO. And they came back and said, Hey, did you know that we put the same amount of effort regardless of the magnitude, the size of, of, of the RFP, right? Cause you sort of want to get full creative on everything, right? Even if it's a, a 50,000 versus a 500,000. So this goes back to your, your point earlier, Matt, that, you know, we can't provide that same level of white glove coverage across the entire spectrum or you're just ruining your, your cost of sales there. But, you know, if we didn't have the bodies to, to do that type of forward-looking analytic and did some of the necessary stuff, you sort of continue down that same path, right? Thinking, I'm from, I always provide maximum value. Well, you should, but within, you know, let's be smart about it, right? Yeah, yeah one of the things, we, we did this, this work where we assessed the, the company's current revenue off structure. And at the onset, they told us, man, we think we're going to need 10 12, maybe 15 people to fill the needs of our two businesses. And they had two separate divisions. We did all the work. We talked to sales. We did a bunch of survey. We did analysis, benchmarking, designed the new model. And guess what? They needed one and a half people because there were so many other people sitting in legal and contracts and finance, all doing repetitive things. So at the end of the day, we just needed to move things around a little bit, right? And so to Matt's point earlier, if you have a revenue organization or sales organization, if you're signing contracts, booking deals, there are people that are executing this function. And I think step one for any organization that's trying to figure out where they should go is just know where you're at right now, right? Just do an inventory. Like right. what are the activities are happening? Where are people spending their time? And just get a get a sense check, right? And then that is a great place to start. Sure. Identifying this, the, the shadow operations of what's going on and making yeah. sure that it's much more coordinated. Well, this has been... Very engaging and insightful conversation. The research is ongoing right now, and we were able to talk about three of the five highlights, and there's plenty of other content and meat on the bone with the uh, rest of the other two, the placing your product in customer bets, where do you place your bets to wind, and deploying the right structure. That is also on the docket for the study going forward. Really enjoy the time today, fellas. Thank you for joining the Media Sales Confidential Podcast with Matt Bartles. I'm Matt Bartles, and I'm signing off with Igor Yurok and Quang Do. Don't forget to like the podcast and share it with your friends. 